Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. You can find this on page 830 in the Pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take one as a gift from us. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kaylee. Good morning. My name is Anthony Emerson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I too would like to welcome you to Christ Community Brookside, especially if this is your first time. Thank you for walking through those big wood doors and joining us today. And this morning, we are discussing how to be ready for the end of the world. That just sounds like something we should pray about, so would you pray with me? Lord, I lift us up into your hands this morning. Some of us are tired. Some of us are energized. Some of us are burdened. Others are lighthearted. Wherever we may be, we come before you and ask humbly that you would speak your word to us in fresh ways this morning. Your Holy Spirit is welcome in this place, Lord. Would you work in our hearts? And reveal yourself to us more fully. Amen. It is not just the religious, I think, who think about the end times. As a culture, we are infatuated with the end of the world. We are drawn to the idea of the apocalypse. If you don't believe me, think about our mainstream entertainment industry all the movies and novels and TV shows about zombies and nuclear war and finding a home on a different planet. I found a Wikipedia page that has nothing on it except a list of American movies that are about the end of the world. I zoomed out as much as I could and I still could only fit some of the movies from the years 2000 to 2009. There's a lot of these movies. We're, we're infatuated with the end of the world. But this infatuation, I think, doesn't stop with just fictional stories in our entertainment industry. It's also reflected in the very concrete phenomenon of prepping. A prepper is someone who wants to be prepared for the end. Maybe some of you are, would consider yourself a prepper. Whether it's a natural disaster or a terrorist attack or a government meltdown or literally the end of the world, 
A good prepper is sure to have plenty of non-perishable food, seeds, water, guns, ammo. They are prepared. There was a recent article in The New Yorker about some, how some of the wealthiest Americans are becoming preppers. CEOs of tech companies in Silicon Valley and business people in New York are getting into this. This article details how one billionaire, billionaire family has bought just recently an old missile silo uh, north of Wichita, Kansas, about one, one hour north. And they've turned it into 15 stories of underground luxury apartments, which they've turned around and they've sold. Uh, had no problem selling all of the units for about $3 million each. At this compound, they've got tilapia tanks, underground vegetable gardens, sustainable power. They have a sniper post, a shooting range, a paid doctor, a paid dentist, and an indoor pool, just in case. Their plan B is nicer than my plan A. <laughs> they are ready. They are ready, or, or are they? This might sound weird, but did you know that Jesus and his disciples were some of the very first preppers? At least kind of. Jesus talked a ton about the end. He comes back again and again throughout his teachings to the fact that he will return and the world as he know it will end when he does. And he wanted his disciples to be ready. In today's passage, Jesus is, is focusing on exactly that. He is focused on instructing us about how to be ready for the end of the world, which I realize, especially if you're not a Christian, uh, don't come from a religious background, may sound like an overly religious or otherworldly or superstitious subject to examine seriously. And so before we look at what Jesus has to say, let me note two things, if, if that's you. First, everyone basically believes the world will end one way or another at one time or another. A couple of months ago in November, Stephen Hawking, the famous atheist, physicist, and cosmologist, at a lecture at Oxford University, said according to his calculations, the world will end in less than 1,000 years and we better get ready. Only a couple weeks ago, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists moved the second hand on its symbolic doomsday clock forward 30 seconds to put us only two and a half minutes before midnight. Midnight symbolizes the end of the world in their mind. And second, this world will end for 100% of us when we die. You and I might not live to see the end of the world. Might not. But if we don't, we will die. And this world will, in effect, end for us. So Jesus' how-to instructions on the end of the world are very relevant for each and every one of us in this room. 
one way or another. And his how-to instructions are very simple, surprisingly simple even. According to Jesus, the way to be ready for the end of the world is this. Don't predict when, prepare now. Don't predict when, prepare now. Those are the two keys to being ready, and we'll unpack that second one, what it looks like to prepare now. But before we do that, the first key to being ready for the end of the world is to not get distracted with predicting when. Don't predict when. In short, don't be like the disciples in this passage. Look with me all the way back at Matthew 24, verse 3, which was part of our text last week. Jesus starts talking at the beginning of chapter 24 about apocalyptic sort of things, and the disciples in this verse display their obsession with the when. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Tell us, Jesus, when exactly can we expect this to happen? And give us some signs so that we know when. Fast forward to this morning's passage, and Jesus is still in the process of answering the disciples' questions. And He makes clear that we are not meant to predict the timing of His return. I'll read verses 36 through 39 once more. Jesus says this, "'But about that day or hour,' No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, just going about their regular lives. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, not even Jesus knows when the end will come. Do you think we are going to figure it out? And that raises some questions. Jesus is supposed to be God, and so shouldn't He know everything? He doesn't seem to know this, what's going on here. Really quickly, yes, he, He is God, and there are places throughout the Gospels where Jesus has what can only be described as divine knowledge, but not here. And that's because Jesus, though fully God, while on earth limits the exercise of His divine power in being fully human as well. Think about how Jesus limited Himself in other areas. He was subject to things like pain and exhaustion and hunger and frustration. 
none of which he had to experience, but he voluntarily limits himself. Same with this. He is still fully God in his nature, but he's also fully human and is thus temporarily limited. But that's beside the point. The point here is that we put our charts away. Enough with the predictions and doomsday assumptions. People have been doing that for thousands of years. And the one thing in common with every prediction so far, they've all been wrong. If Jesus didn't know, do you really think anyone else is going to figure it out? Without fail, whether it's Nostradamus or the Mayan calendar or cult leaders or televangelists, people who try to predict when the end of the world will be are proven to have miscalculated badly and always look foolish. Anytime you hear a prediction or proclamation about the timing of the end of the world, I'd just like you to think about this short clip from the movie Get Smart that we're about to watch. Confident calculations don't end up well. So don't worry about predicting when. That's not Jesus' concern, and it shouldn't be ours. His focus was not on the when, but on the how. So don't predict when. Instead, prepare now. Prepare now. That first key of being ready for the end of the world, not to get sidetracked and predicting when. The second is prepare now. But what does that look like? What do we mean by preparing now? What does that involve? Well, I think that Jesus provides us two main ways to prepare now. And thankfully, neither involves purchasing a $3 million bunker and lots of ammo. Not saying that's wrong per se, it's just not where he goes. Instead, the first suggestion for preparing now for the end of the world is to work like there is no tomorrow. Work like there is no tomorrow. We see this in the parable that Jesus tells at the end of chapter 24. He tells this parable of two different kinds of servants. He says, imagine there's a servant who's the lead servant in a a household. The master goes away and he's delayed, and so the servant starts thinking, I'm in charge here. Master's gone. It's taking forever for him to come back. I have time. And he proceeds to abuse his fellow servants. He takes advantage of them. And spends his time partying it up. You only live once. But now, Jesus says, imagine a a different servant. This one, it doesn't matter for him that his master's gone. Because he's completely faithful. He's like Carson, the butler from Downton Abbey. Carson is never off duty. He's the perfect servant. He treats his master's house as if it's his own, as if Lord Grantham could walk through the door at any moment, even when he's away. And we see this in verses 45 through 51. Read those with me. Again, this is Jesus speaking. 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes. The other servant will be judged. And we've got a whole message on judgment in a week or two, so we're going to leave that topic for then. But to say the very least, it's not pretty for the one who isn't ready. But for the other, more faithful servant... And there's nothing spectacular about what's going on here except that he's ready. He will be rewarded being put in charge of all of the master's possessions. There may not be a tomorrow, so party like it's your last. Finish that bucket list as quick as you can. That's my tendency. That's what our culture tends to tell us. Grab as much life as you can now. We don't know when the end will be, but we know the music will stop, so take advantage. But instead of the mantra that you only live once, Jesus' suggestion is to work like there is no tomorrow. If you want to be ready, A real prepper doesn't stop and hunker down. A real prepper works like there is no tomorrow. Because there might not be. It's not run for the hills, but get to work. The master is on his way. And it's not that we don't enjoy life. Rest and play and celebration are all good things. Jesus is not commending the servant for being a burnt-out workaholic. But there is work to be done. And this may be your last day to do it. Are you doing the hard work of loving the people around you? Are you serving your clients or your colleagues at work as if it's your last opportunity to care for them? Are you pursuing your neighbors? Are you changing diapers to the glory of God? Are you living and working with the kind of character and diligence in everything that you do that when the master finally walks through the door, you'll be ready and excited to see him? Eugene Peterson in the message version of verses 45 through 47, paraphrases Jesus' words about the faithful servant this way. Who here qualifies for the job of overseeing the kitchen? 
a person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day, someone the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him doing his job, a God-blessed man or woman, I tell you, it won't be long before the master will put this person in charge of the whole operation. So work like there is no tomorrow. Whatever you do during the week, whether you are a salesman or a businesswoman, a stay-at-home parent or a retiree volunteering your time, a nurse or a dentist, a student or a construction worker, Work well to the glory of God, like Jesus is going to give your next job review, like there is no tomorrow. I played the trumpet in my high school band, and I remember our band director once telling us to play like we were in God's band, as if God were the conductor and He were listening to every note that you played. I remember us having a very good rehearsal that day. And that should be our attitude in all of our work. God is looking for men and women who are faithful in their day-to-day lives, who do their work not for selfish gain, but for their master's sake and for the good of their neighbor, who are not self-centered in how they spend their time and resources, but who serve their community justly and faithfully. Work like the master is coming back for your review. Work like there is no tomorrow. So prepare now by working like there is no tomorrow, but the other suggestion that Jesus makes to us in this passage to help us prepare now is to plan like there is no end in sight. Plan like there is no end in sight. There's some tension here. Jesus calls us to live as if today is our last, but then also as if there could be a thousand years left. How do we do that? Well, at the start of chapter 25, Jesus tells another story. This one's about ten virgins at a party. That's, it's not a bad joke, don't worry. <laughs> virgins just means young women here. And these young women uh, culturally played a significant role in a wedding party. They're basically the bridesmaids. According to custom, the groom and his friends would leave his house and prayed over to the bride's home where the bridesmaids and the the wedding party would be waiting. And the wedding would happen there. Then they'd all prayed back to the groom's home for the wedding feast. And those with a lamp, in this parable there's ten young women with lamps, they were known as official members of the wedding party, like bridesmaids today, all in the same dress. That was sort of the marker. But this particular wedding, the groom is late in coming. Look with me in verse 5. Again, this is chapter 25 now, 
verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And they're all in a tizzy getting their lamps ready, excited for the festivities to finally begin. But five of the bridesmaids, the foolish ones, according to Jesus, don't bring any extra oil. The wait is longer than they'd anticipated, and their lamps go out. It's dark. It's midnight. They can't see anything. They have to run to the store and get some more oil. But the wise maidens, the other five, they didn't know how long the wait would be either, but they are ready. They know how to wait. They've packed a little extra oil. And the groom arrives when the foolish five are missing. And only the ones who are ready make it to the party. So Jesus ends our passage in verse 13 by saying, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And I'm so thankful that Jesus tells this story because it sure feels like he's been delayed. He said he was coming back, but how much longer do we have to wait? And while this story gives us no help in figuring out exactly when that will happen, it makes it clear that a delay is expected. And we've got to prepare for the long haul. Yes, don't predict when and work like there's no tomorrow, but we also wait and plan like there is no end in sight. The Super Bowl this year, of course, was great. Biggest comeback in Super Bowl history by far. Falcons were just dominating the game for three quarters and then they fell apart in the fourth. Why did that happen? Well, a big reason for why the Falcons gave up their almost impossibly huge lead was that they ran out of gas, they became fatigued. They were playing hard each and every play like it was their last. They were working like there was no tomorrow. But they were not conditioned for the long haul like their opponent was. So their defense stayed out on the field longer and longer. They were not prepared to play at a high level for the entire game. And you could see in the fourth quarter and overtime, they just ran out of gas. They didn't condition themselves beforehand and plan like there was no end in sight. And for us, yes, we expect Jesus daily. And we work like there is no tomorrow, but we also need to plan like there is no end in sight. Yes, it could be any day, or it could be another millennium. It doesn't matter as long as you're ready. Which means we live with incredible urgency 
watching the skies, looking for His return, and at the same time, we live with incredible endurance, working hard, loving deeply, living well, making sure the oil doesn't run out. Work tomorrow, work like there is no tomorrow, and plan like there is no end in sight. But how does this work out practically? What does this mean on the ground? It means, like the five maidens who packed extra oil, living and planning with wisdom and with the long haul in view. And it means prioritizing those things in our lives that are long-term, things like our family, developing relationships and close friendships, those things that take so long and are messy. It means being careful to stay away from workaholism, caring for yourself and avoiding burnout. It means being wise with your resources, saving the appropriate amounts and thinking well about the future. It means investing in your community, your church, community organizations, those in need around you, neighborhood associations, your workplace, our nation. This is what planning like there is no end in sight is. Living with wisdom and patience. As paradoxical as it might sound, that's part of being ready for Jesus to come back now. That's preparing now. So don't predict when, prepare now. And before we close, let's take a step back and take in the full picture that Jesus is painting here of the person who is living a ready life. This image of a person that Jesus is painting who's ready for the end of the world. This is a person who is unconcerned about the timing of Jesus' return. She is free of worry, free of anxiety. She knows that Jesus will return, and that's not a scary thought, it's an exciting one. She knows that His return will mean her entering the fullness of joy in her Savior's presence. She looks forward to His return with constant expectancy, eagerly awaiting that day when He will come to make all things right. And she is living and working accordingly. She has purpose. She has a vision bigger than herself. And so she works not for selfish reasons, but as a faithful servant to her good master who will reward her when he returns for her faithfulness. This person is also someone that has great wisdom. He plans like there is no end in sight and so is able to endure whatever comes his way. Like the woman in Proverbs 31, he is wise and prepared and therefore can laugh at the days to come. The future holds no fear for him because he lives wisely and patiently. 
he simultaneously lives with the thrill of expectancy of Jesus' return and the deep contentment that comes with a life of wisdom and patience. This is a person who does not predict when, but is preparing now. This is the kind of person that Jesus means for you and me to be. But He knows, and we know, if we're honest with ourselves, that this vision of contentment and faithfulness and wisdom is out of our reach on our own power. You and I literally cannot will ourselves to live into this vision of readiness. We're at times foolish. We're lazy. We don't love as we should. We cut corners. We fall short. We sin. We break fellowship with God. And often we even fear His return, or at least don't mind the delay. We are so often not ready for the end of the world. And there is only one thing that can get us ready. There is only one way into the ready life that God has designed us to live, and that is placing day by day your faith, trust, confidence in Jesus Christ as Savior, as the one who out of love died on the cross for us, and who is resurrected from the dead on our behalf, that our sins might be forgiven, that our iniquity might be cleansed from us, that we might be reconciled to the Father and enter into a relationship with Him, that we might become apprentices of Jesus and walk with Him. That is Jesus' invitation to you this morning. He invites you to come away from worry and fear to a life of walking with Him and learning from Him on a daily basis how to become the kind of person who is ready for whatever may come, even the end of the world. He invites you to become His apprentice. He has provided the way to this life by His death and resurrection. Place your faith for the first time or continue to place your faith in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and for the leading of your life. That is the ultimate act of preparation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, for instructing us, the fact that You care deeply about our daily lives, about the minutia of Monday through Saturday. We thank You that we have the opportunity to be faithful to You and to be rewarded for working for and with You. We thank You, Lord, that Our salvation, our relationship with you isn't based on our work, though. It's based on your work on the cross. 
We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. We thank you for your grace to us day by day. And we thank you, Lord, that you have promised you will return and make all things new. Come quickly, Lord, come quickly. In your name we pray, amen.